Today our text is Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 1. If you're following along in our house Bibles, it is page 998. Page 998, Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Today, I want for us to talk about kindness. Kindness is a Christian virtue. Yeah? Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Being that when you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit has come into your life. If you are pursuing Christ rightly, then the Holy Spirit is at work in you, helping you to become more kind. But in addition to being a Christian virtue and fruit of the Spirit, kindness is awfully popular in American culture, in America at large, not simply in Christianity. Or kindness is at least popular as a slogan. Uh, There was a big campaign, the Just Be Kind campaign, a couple of years ago, where a lot of t-shirts were sold (laughs) that said, Just Be Kind on them which I suppose is certainly better than being mean, right? It's, uh, it's better than being awful. Uh, if the alternative was just be a jerk, then just be kind sounds fantastic. There's plenty of kind sayings out there. Just be kind. Kind people are my kind of people is, uh, is a pithy one for sure. And remember to always stay humble and kind. I suspect that the world has misunderstood what kindness is. And I suspect that we, perhaps, have misunderstood God's kindness as well. So, what does it mean that God is kind? After all, for it to be a Christian virtue, it must be a characteristic exhibited by God Himself. Because all virtue are simply the characteristics of who God is. So if kindness is good for us, it is because it is in the very nature of who God is. So what does it mean that God is kind? And how has God shown His kindness to us? As we read the second chapter in Romans today, Paul has turned from making an argument about how the world is under condemnation because they know simply by nature, the invisible attributes and power of God, and they're without excuse, to talking to those people in Israel, the Jews at the time who had both believed and those who had not believed yet, to tell them all the more so they're without excuse. In chapter 1, Paul says, listen, everybody knows that there's a God because of His divine presence in all things, the, the way you see the fingerprints of God in all things. Everybody knows generally, not everything about God, But everyone at least knows that there is a God and can understand the power of the divine by nature. And so, Paul says, everyone is without excuse and judgment is coming for all kinds of evildoers. He says, judgment is coming for the unrighteous, the evil, the greedy, for wickedness, those who are full of envy, murder, (laughs) for quarrels, for deceit, for malice, for gossip, slanderers, God-haters, the arrogant, the proud, the boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient children to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful people. 
Although they know God's just sentence, those who practice such things deserve to die. But they not only do them, they even applaud others who do them. And at the end of Paul's condemnation, saying everybody knows that these things are wrong simply by the general revealing of who God is, yet they still do evil and they encourage other people to do evil as well. But then Paul turns his attention to those who should know better, to Jewish believers, and he says, and don't think God's kindness towards you means that you are to escape this sort of same judgment if you do evil as well. So let's pray together and let's read about God's kindness. Father God, I pray that when we hear your word today about judgment, we would believe it and we would receive your kindness for the very purpose that you give it and that this would lead us to turn towards you. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, our passage for today, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. We know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on truth. Do you really think Any one of you who judges those who do such things, yet you do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you despise the riches of His kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He will repay each one according to his works, eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobedient uh, and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. There will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and then also to the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for there is no favoritism with God. This is our passage for today, and an interesting passage to talk about kindness, isn't it? If you were following along, what you heard was judgment, 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 kindness, judgment, 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 no favoritism. If you followed the outline of the passage, that's the way it went. And it's important to go over what happened in chapter 1. He's talking about all that long list of sins right there at the top of the page in our Bible, but right at the end of chapter 1, wickedness, all kinds of wickedness, evil, greed, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice, you name it. I mean, that's the point is, you know what evil is. And everybody knows what is evil and what is wrong in a very general sense, and that God's judgment is coming against those who do evil. But then he turns towards these ones who should know better, and he says, and do you imagine that you will escape this judgment if you go on living like they do? He says to them, do you imagine that you will escape judgment if you say Jesus is Lord, but you continue on? 
with evil, greed, wickedness, envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice, gossip, slander, arrogance, and pride? That's the point that Paul is making. And the first one for us is this. The purpose of God's kindness is not to affirm us as we are. What Paul's saying to these believers, these Jewish believers, is the purpose of God's kindness towards you wasn't simply to affirm you as you are. God didn't show kindness to the nation of Israel for their own special sake, just because they were special to God's eyes, and so God showed them grace, and you know what, now they could kind of do whatever they wanted to, and God was still going to show them grace because He owed them, didn't He? After all, He'd made some promises. If you were a Jewish believer at the time here, both a member of both Jewish, but also a believer, as Paul's writing to believers in the Roman church, how would you consider yourself before God? You know, much of the book of Esther in the Old Testament is about helping the nation of Israel come to terms with their relationship to God in exile. In the book of Esther, Israel had already been sent off into slavery in Babylon because God sent them prophet after prophet, and they never listened, and they never repented from their sins. God had promised punishment to them, and then God delivered punishment to them. And now, in exile, facing the punishment of God, Israel had to answer this question, is God still with us? Or has he rejected us forever? That's what the book of Esther is about, is the story about how God miraculously provided for his people even while they were in exile. Esther is about the story of an evil man named Haman who wants to destroy the Jewish people, and then in a way that is clearly the miraculous power of God, the very gallows that he created to execute lots of Israelites was used to kill him by that king, and God used his instruments, Esther and Mordecai, to save his people. The whole purpose of Esther is to know that God is still with his people, they're still precious to him, and he is still going to keep the promises that he made. Now, if you were Jewish at this time, would you accept this story and rejoice and say, excellent, good news, we don't have our nation right now, but God's still going to keep his promises to us. So we can do whatever we want to, because he's promised it, so he's going to keep it. Would you receive the kindness of God as simply an affirmation of you and your lifestyle without changing it at all? And that's what Paul is confronting here. He says, you, do you see yourself as without excuse? You who who commit the exact same sins and live like the rest of the world and are kind of excited maybe even to watch God's judgment come down on those evil people, do you not realize that God's judgment will be coming down on you as well? Congregation, the thing that they're doing wrong here is presuming upon the grace of God. It's presuming, oh, God has to save me because I'm special. There's a promise made, and God has to keep it, so God has, to, God has to forgive me. And I tell you, it wasn't just their problem, but you and I can do the exact same thing, can we not? Can we not likewise sometimes presume on the grace of God? Do you not see people saying to themselves, doing their mental arithmetic before they make a decision that they know is wrong and sinful, thinking through and going, eh, it's not that big a deal, God will forgive me. No, don't don't presume upon the grace of God. 
This is what the wrath of God comes against. Are, are you not clearly making yourself into an object of judgment when you say, yeah, Christ's death was good enough for all my sins, so, I mean, I can, I can commit a few more. Christ will forgive me. It'll be all right. I think we do this more often than we're willing to admit. I think it is possible that we who have called upon the name of Jesus Christ and wear the name of Jesus Christ can yet still keep certain let's call them pet sins, around in our life, sins that we like and we don't actually want to get rid of. We who say, Lord, Lord, and yet also hang on to our greed a little bit. Also hang on to comparisons. We who hold on to coveting in our hearts. We who hold on to lust or are lying to ourselves and others regularly. I think it is entirely possible that we have held on to sins ourselves, knowing how awful they look on other people, and how rejoicing that the judgment of God is coming against those sins, and yet we have treated ourselves differently, not recognizing the real purpose of God's kindness, but having assumed that the purpose of God's kindness was to affirm us as we are without changing us. But that was never the purpose. In fact, that is what I would suggest to you our culture's understanding of kindness is. Kindness without change. Dear friends, do not settle for cultural kindness, but rather look to Christ's kindness, because it is far greater and much differently. Worldly kindness, the kindness of the culture around us, the kindness that says, ah, just be kind to everybody. It means really, basically, don't be a jerk which you know isn't terrible advice. I'll commend that to you. Don't, don't be a jerk, friends. But the problem is perhaps with the word just. There's so much more than just not being mean. Worldly kindness is simply, oh, I'm so thankful that person was kind because he made me happy. That person was kind because they made me laugh. That person was kind because they accepted me. That person was kind because they didn't ask me to change. This watery version of kindness is not the same as Christ's kindness. Christ's kindness is that He came down and took on flesh to confront people over their sins and call them to repentance, and in return, they mocked Him and beat Him and rejected Him and put Him to death. But His kindness is that He died for them. You see, that's the kindness of Christ. That's the fruit of the Spirit and the nature of what real kindness is. It's not simply a polite smile. Frequently, we can use kindness as an excuse to ourselves just be people pleasers and refrain from anything that might make a person not like us. But this is not kindness at all. Not when judgment is coming. Not when a person is doing wrong, and the choices that they're making in life are not only going to hurt them in this life, but bring about the judgment of God. If you know that there is a way to be forgiven of sins, it is not kindness to not tell somebody about that. Worldly kindness is merely affirmative. Oh, you look nice today. Christ kindness is transformative. Worldly kindness can do no more than affirm a person no matter what. The trouble is we don't need constant affirmation. We need transformation. 
because we're not all right. Yeah, there's absolutely room for, you know, perhaps kindness and for Christianity, for you and I to be kind, it does include that sort of affirmation, right? I care about you. I like you. Hey, you do look nice today. But perhaps the way to express this for us with each other, a good application, would be what I call the kindness sandwich, right? The comment, I really appreciate getting to worship with you. Hey, listen, you, you can't talk that way to other believers. But I'm really glad you're here, and it's always good to get to see you. <laughs> the kindness sandwich, the not being a jerk, but the, hey, I, do, I really care about you. It warms my heart to see you. But listen, it, it is not all right for you to be pursuing evil relationships like this. What you want is bad for you and is going to hurt you and hurt them. You cannot go after this kind of relationship. Come, do what's right so that we can rejoice together because I'm cheering for you and I'm always rejoicing for you. There, the kindness sandwich you see. Worldly kindness is merely affirmative. It is just be kind. But Christian kindness is transformative. It changes us. We receive the kindness of God, and it, it makes us different. We don't just receive the kindness of God. Once the kindness of God is given to us and we've had it, it becomes a wellspring of more kindness that pours out of our heart and changes us. We need the transformation that God's kindness does. The purpose of His kindness is not to simply affirm us as we are. And so, don't presume upon the grace of God, and don't settle for a cheap worldly definition of kindness. Rather, you should also know that the purpose of God's kindness is not to tell the Israelites that they were special and unique. It comes down in verse 11, the very last verse. He says, there is no favoritism with God. Or back up to verse 9, he sort of gives it to them straight. This is the diagnosis of their spiritual problem, no sugarcoating it. He's, it's kind, but it's straightforward and true. There will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for there is no favoritism with God. They might have thought they were special, the Israelites, better than the others. It's not just that God had made them a promise, but that they had deserved a promise from God because they were better than everyone else. Of course, God would be kind to them. They were better. They were special people. And so, when they heard chapter 1 read to them, they might have heard, oh yeah, God's judgment's coming against all these evil people. Oh, God's judgment's coming against all those other people out there, all these evil people who should know better and they're not doing better, those slanderers out there, those murderers out there, those gossips, those greedy people, all those wicked people. Yeah, you could see that they, hearing chapter 1, might be going, that's right, go get them, God. Until Paul turns his attention to them and says, and you hearing this now, do you think somehow that you're special and you won't receive different? But God's judgment will come against you if you're acting the same way. There's no favoritism with God. Whether you're inside or outside, the one who does evil brings judgment upon themselves. And the one who acts honorable and glorious and righteous before God brings about blessing. 
Which will it be for you? The purpose of God's kindness was not to show them that they're special and unique. It's not to affirm them the way they are without asking them to change, and it's not to affirm them as special. The prophet Amos does the exact same thing that Paul is doing here, and it's really neat. I like Amos a whole lot because Amos is just a farmer who comes into the city and into the palace. You should imagine Amos still wearing his overalls, and he walks in and he starts making some prophecies against all the neighbors around Israel. He walks in and he says, you know what? God is about to bring judgment against Damascus. And these people, they don't like Damascus. And they say, you know what? That's right. Amen. I'll second that motion. Absolutely, Amos. He calls out about how God is going to bring judgment against Damascus because they're an evil people who do evil things. He says, you know what? God is going to bring judgment against Tyre. And they go, yeah, go get them. Go get all those evil neighbors. He says, God is going to bring judgment against the Ammonites. You remember the Ammonites and all the evil things they did? Well, God saw it too, and God is going to bring judgment. And you assume by now the entire group around him is standing up clapping and cheering on the prophecy. That's right. God's going to bring judgment against them. He says, God is going to bring judgment against the Moabites. And then with everybody rejoicing over God's judgment for all them sinners out there, Amos says, and God is going to bring judgment against Israel because they're doing the exact same evil things. After that, nobody likes Amos anymore. The rest of his letter is about him being rejected and being suddenly now they call him a redneck and they tell him to go back home to his farm. No, go read Amos. It's exactly like that. They say, you know, you need to go back where you belong and you don't need to be here in the city. You're not educated. You're not the son of a prophet. You haven't gone to the prophet schools. You get back out of here. And Amos says, yeah, I'm not the son of a prophet. I'm not a prophet. I'm the son of a prophet. But the word of the Lord came to me. And so you're going to hear it. And here it is. Likewise, Paul does with these people, and likewise, we need to hear. Guys, I've got great news for you. God is going to bring judgment against all the evil in the world. And this is good news if you've ever been abused. This is good news if you've ever been hurt. This is good news if you've ever been treated poorly. This is good news if you've ever seen a child hurt, and you have welled up with a desire for justice to come quickly. I'll tell you what, justice is coming. But do we imagine we're going to avoid this judgment if we are doing the same sorts of evil things? The kindness of God is not to affirm us as we are, and the kindness of God is not to tell us that we're special and unique. And so we'll be held to an easier standard. This is not the purpose of the kindness of God. You could apply this perhaps to the nations. We could rejoice to hear you know, kindness of, or the judgment of God coming against Russia. Ah, they're evil. You know, the judgment of God coming against the Chinese government. Mm. Would you hear it also to say the same, if the same sorts of evil are portrayed here in our wonderful, beautiful nation that we love dearly, would you not receive it the same way to know that the judgment of God is coming against all sinners because there is no favoritism and against all nations because there is no favoritism? How about churches? It would be fun for us, perhaps in a mean-spirited sort of way. Let's not say fun. It would be mean-spirited of us, but you could understand if we were excited about God's judgment against huckster prosperity gospel preachers, right? 
Say, there's people out there just trying to make money off desperate folks in the name of Jesus Christ. God is going to bring judgment against them. We might be a little happy about that judgment because it's deserved. We might be happy about the judgment over, you know, saying, hey, there's those churches out there who are just praying on their people with prosperity gospel. You might say, you know what? God's going to be judgment on those guys. There's those preachers out there who just yell a lot without teaching anything. And you go and you listen. You say, I know I'm supposed to be feeling stuff, and I'm feeling stuff, but I don't really know what he's talking about. At no point have we really talked about Scripture in the last hour. And say, God's going to bring judgment against churches who just, those mean, mean little Baptist churches who just run people off. You know those ones. Those mean little Baptist churches with those church ladies in there and those deacons. Those deacons, oh, don't worry, we'll get the guys too. And those deacons who seem to who seem to want not anybody who seem to not want anybody to actually come to their church, and they themselves seem to never actually attend worship, but always are standing around outside somewhere. And make fun of this make fun of those mean churches. You can you can make fun of any stereotype you want to or hope for judgment, because all of those there's a grain of truth in it. You could insult churches for being too cool and too shallow at the same time. But the standard that we look for God's judgment will be used against us as well. And so I ask you, congregation, if you have received the kindness of Christ, are you living and demonstrating the kindness of Christ? Because the judgment of God comes against our congregation as well. You who have received the grace of God, are you a spring of the grace of God to other people? Has God been generous to you? then ought we not to be generous people as well? Have you experienced how compassionate God is? Then we must likewise be compassionate. Has God been faithful? Have you been faithful? We must reflect the righteousness of God as a church because He will judge the churches like the nations, like the people groups. There's no favoritism with God. But there is great kindness from God. Perhaps the application could be personal as well. If not nations and if not churches, then also just personal. Have you projected your own sense of self-worth onto God? Well, God will be kind to me. I deserve it. God will be kind to me. I'm special. I've suffered so much. Surely God will forgive my sins and be kind to me. Rather, friends, you are called by Jesus Christ to consider yourself the least of these and to have great hope for the salvation of the roughest of these. God's purpose of God's kindness was not to affirm them as they were without changing them, and the purpose of God's kindness is not to affirm you without transforming you. The purpose of God's kindness was not to tell them that they're special and unique and we can just slide this all under the rug and you can keep going about doing it. Rather, you tell me at this point, you should know, right? The purpose of God's kindness was to lead them to... The purpose of God's kindness was to lead them to repentance. God was kind and He was gracious. Go back and look at this passage. Verse 4, the most beautiful verse in here. Or do you despise the riches of His kindness, His restraint, 
His patience. Not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. There are people out there who do not know the real God. And so they worship an angry God who looks forward to judgment. But let me just share with you the truth for a moment. God is kind. The God who created everything, the God who created you, and the God who sustains all things and sustains your life, this God is kind. This God has great restraint. If self-control is our virtue, then self-control is His virtue. The judgment of God, the wrath of God, doesn't spew angrily around, knocking over chairs and hitting anybody it comes in contact with. Patience. God is patient Himself. Above all these, God is kind, and the purpose of His kindness was to give you an opportunity to come to repentance. It was not a pleasantry. The purpose of God's kindness isn't a nicety. It's not just, oh, that's pleasant, and then ignore Him. The purpose of God's kindness is to save you, to call you out of your sin. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago uh, the book, movie, musical, take your pick of versions of it, but Les Miserables. I mention it again today because why not? That, that book, movie, musical is so spiritual, at least when it's done right, the movie and musical adaptations. It begins with a prison convict named Jean Valjean, who now has done his time and is out of jail, but he has to go under law, in French law at the time, and show his papers that he's a criminal wherever he goes. He has to let everybody know he's out of jail, but I'm a criminal, I'm still a criminal, I'm still a criminal. And he goes one night for some mercy to this priest's house. And the priest says, yeah, come on in and have dinner with us, you're right on time. His wife, a little scandalized by this, was says, come, come, come sit, eat with us. And Valjean says, you can see my papers, I'm a, I'm a criminal, you know this, right? Come in here, come sit and eat with us. And he feeds Valjean, and he clothes Valjean, he gives him a place to sleep for the night. But the old criminal comes out, and in the middle of the night, Valjean begins stealing this priest's silver, all the silverware and everything. And he leaves, but he's quickly, quickly apprehended by the police again. Always. Judgment comes. He's apprehended by the police, and he is brought back to this priest. And the police say, do you know this man? Is this your silver? And the priest says, of course I know this man. He's my guest. I'm very upset with him. I didn't tell you just to take the silverware. I told you to take the candlesticks as well. All of this was to be a gift for you. Why didn't you take more? Come back inside, Valjean. Come stay the rest of the night and then take it all with you in the morning. And Valjean is so confused by the kindness of this man. And the priest says, with the cost of the silver, I've bought your forgiveness. Go and live a righteous life. And the rest of the story is about Valjean trying to live up to the kindness that he was shown. This, my friends, is the way God's kindness has been to us. Don't you know that His kindness and stepping out of heaven, putting on flesh, walking around amongst sinners, speaking the truth kindly, but being abused and mocked for it, being killed on the cross, a sinner's death? 
don't you know that this is the kindness of God towards us? And don't you know that His kindness was to lead you to repentance? His kindness wasn't to affirm you as you were and leave you alone like judgment was never going to be a problem and you never had to change anything in your life. His kindness wasn't to say, well, see, you're special, and so God will let it, let it slide for you no matter what's happening in your life. No, His kindness was to lead you, friends, towards repentance and a life of repentance. Let the sinner know that just like Valjean today, even if you fall back into your old criminal ways, the grace of God is there for you, but it is for everyone who repents of their sins. There can be no forgiveness without repentance. Come, friends, put your trust in Christ. Those who are not believers, those who mocked Jesus, who would mock Christianity today and still mock Jesus, say, oh, that's just kindness with a catch. What do you mean I have to repent in order to be forgiven? That's just kindness with a catch. No. It's kindness for a purpose. It's not an angry God saying, I'm angry at you, but if you put all your trust in me and give me my life, then I won't be angry at you anymore. It's a God who knows that sin is evil on its own, and He would save you from that. It's kindness on purpose, and the purpose is giving you the good life. The purpose is you having joy, you having your own kindness and your own patience. The fruit of the Spirit are both a way that we worship God, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things that the Holy Spirit starts to grow in us and give to us, they are both a means for worshiping God, but they are also a blessing on you in their own right. I'm telling you, the good life is not the life when you're angry all the time. If your life right now is lived to be angry at the political party you don't like, then your life is wasted. The life in Christ, the good life, is the one that the Holy Spirit is bearing inside of you and a purpose to be a part of God's work. God's kindness towards us is dying in our place and paying for our sins. So it will not do for us to go on in our sins. There is grace in God for you. Even if you've been sinning for a long time, even if your sins before you today seem especially evil, the grace of God is greater. And God will forgive all of them and everything. But the kindness of God is to lead you to repentance. So come today and repent so you can have the forgiveness of your sins. And then, friends, come today and let us be kind to other people with Christ's own kindness. It means we will be kind with the same kind of not just nice, not just affirming, but self-sacrificing kindness, hopeful kindness, kindness that calls for change from self-destructive behavior and behavior that leads to judgment. The kindness of the Christian must be the kindness of Christ, which is to come and say, there is a Savior for everyone who's a sinner, and you, dear friend, are doing wrong So come and find your grace in Christ. The kindness of Christ is a kindness that leads towards repentance. Come today and repent of your sins. Come today and call other people to the kindness of Christ. 
Come and, and let the Holy Spirit teach you what real, real kindness is. Father God, I thank You that You are so gracious to us and so patient with us. I thank You that You are so kind to us. I pray that You would just show us where we need to change and let us change. Point out to us in our hearts. Bring conviction. And then be patient with us and give us yet one more chance to turn from our sins and follow You. I thank You that you are so good to us. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you need to come forward to